This podcast is sponsored by Baxter Healthcare Corporation. When you choose Baxter for your CRRT program, you're not only choosing true patient-focused treatment with industry-leading CRRT technology, you're also selecting a partner dedicated to optimizing your clinical success in treating patients with acute kidney injury. Our commitment to you starts with a program individualized to your facility's needs and provides complete support every step of the way. For more information, visit us at usrenalacute.baxter.com. Baxter Healthcare Corporation has provided funding for this podcast, but all content was developed independently by the presenter. Therefore, the views expressed on the podcast are those of the speaker and should not be attributed to Baxter Healthcare Corporation. For prescription use only, for the safe and proper use of this product, please refer to the operator's manual. Hello and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's I Critical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Smith, and today we're going to be talking about drug dosing considerations in acute kidney injury and renal replacement therapies. I'm joined by Dr. Melissa Thompson Baston. She is a pulmonary critical care pharmacist and assistant adjunct professor at the University of Kentucky. Dr. Baston, welcome to the show. I wanted to start off because um, obviously this is a very complex topic. So I wanted to just give you a moment to, to maybe give us a synopsis of the true complexities around dosing and renal replacement therapy. As you suggest, extraordinarily complex, actually, for a lot of reasons. Um, I think one of the main reasons is, you know, as a critical care practitioner, we strive to be evidence-based practitioners. And a lot of what we do in the ICU has evidence or has a physiologic rationale uh, if the evidence is lacking. Um, But with CRT, we really don't have a lot of evidence to guide dosing adjustments and empiric dose, dosing regimens for our critically ill patients. You know, the best evidence for medication dosing uh, comes from the FDA approval process where healthy patients are, are given the drug and levels are obtained and the pharmacokinetic parameters are uh, calculated. And, and a lot of that, all of that, uh, is extrapolated into the ICU. So drug dosing in the ICU in general is incredibly complex. Um, But then you layer in something like CRT, uh, where we've only had about 25 to 30 years of experience uh, being a rather new therapy for for renal replacement, and the evidence are limited even more. So we don't have a lot of evidence to guide us here, and the nephrology practices have evolved and changed over the years to accommodate the complexity um, of our patients and the growing body of evidence on how to treat these patients, Um, for example, with regards to volume status. Um, et cetera. It is extremely complex, and we don't have a lot of evidence to guide us. So I think there are three main components to the dosing that need to be kind of broken down one at a time. So you have patient-specific factors. So recognizing that these patients are critically ill, um, and if they're getting uh, a prescription for CRT, probably quite a few things have happened to them prior up to that point, right? So in my practices in the medical ICU, we see a lot of sepsis and septic shock. Um, The majority of our indications are uh, for volume overload and acidosis. So these patients are generally volume resuscitated when they come in, and 
that in combination with vasoactive agents to increase blood pressure and the physiologic changes that happen within the patient in a septic patient with endothelial damage and capillary leak. So all of that contributes to um, a wide variation in the volume of distribution for our hydrophilic drugs and drugs with a low volume of distribution. And those drugs are our antibiotics. So um, most of our antibiotics fit the criteria that need to be really looked at for drug dosing in CRT. And in fact, when you're talking about a septic shock patient, that's the only drug that's going to save that patient's life. So getting the dose correct is really important. Um, you know, some of these patients come into a, uh, the unit um, having been fluid resuscitated at an outside hospital, possibly receiving 5, 10, 15 liters of fluid, um, and being enuric for a period of time prior to, to CRT initiation. So that patient's volume of distribution is much greater than the patient, um, you know, the 20-year-old male who was studied in the cefepime trials back in the day. So recognizing that this is not the same patient population and I think it's easy to recognize it. I think what's difficult is, and where we really haven't advanced evidence that much, is what do we do about it? So if a patient normally would have received two grams of cefepime, now this critically ill patient with a volume distribution that's two-fold or higher greater should probably get a two-fold or higher greater dose. Yet we don't have, we don't have the tools right now readily available to first of all, measure that change in the volume of distribution and um, safely provide that higher dose, you know, thinking about the therapeutic index of these drugs, which granted for the beta-lactam class of antibiotics is generally considered very safe. Uh, however, there's a lot of data emerging and folks around the world are doing pharmacokinetic studies looking at some of the adverse effects of these beta-lactam drugs and probably realizing that the toxicities are a little bit higher than we once thought and the therapeutic index, which is um, the, the range of serum concentrations that um, can be efficacious without being toxic is probably more narrow than we originally thought as well. So we know these patients are different um, as they come in and they require CRT, but we don't have the data right now to support changing an empiric regimen. Um, additionally, knowing you have to know the medication. So not only knowing the patient, who is this patient receiving CRT, who needs this medication, what is this medication that I'm giving? Um, there are, you know, if you do a PubMed search, you'll find a lot of literature looking at small pharmacokinetic studies that would suggest alternative or optimized dosing regimens. And that's one of the first thing I, things I encourage people to do is check PubMed because this is um, a hot area of research and it has been for a while. And I think it will continue to be until we have larger trials that really help us understand what dose to pick out for these patients. But uh, reviewing your medication. So there are some physiochemical properties that are really important for CRT. Well, one of the first things you can look at is does it have renal dose uh, adjustments? And if it does, that's kind of a, one of your, your eyeball check, I'll say, to say, okay, this drug probably will get removed through CRT. Let me continue further looking into it. Um, the physiochemical properties that are important are, number one, volume of distribution. So like as we said, that patient with septic shock who's 10 liters volume overloaded has an extraordinarily high volume of distribution. So for a drug like vancomycin, for example, that has a typical volume of 0.7 liters per kilo, um, you would expect a higher volume in that patient. Um, now, again, it's difficult to measure that. It's difficult to know exactly what to do um, with that. Vancomycin is a little bit of an exception to many of our other antibiotics in general because we do, we do have the ability to perform therapeutic drug monitoring, which is a really important um, tool for critical care pharmacists and physicians and practitioners um, to optimize these drugs. Um, but it's not available for all the drugs that we possibly need it for. 
Uh, the second thing to look at is the protein binding of your drugs. So drugs that are highly protein bound are not readily available in the serum. So they're bound to their binding sites like albumin, for example. Um, and, a, and a molecule like albumin does not get removed through any modality of CRT. Um, now, if you're talking about plasmapheresis, that's different, but we're focusing on CRT today. And so albumin does not get removed through CRT. So drugs that are bound to albumin will also not get removed through CRT. But one thing to keep in mind is that there is somewhat of a rebound effect for highly protein-bound drugs, uh, which goes counter to everything that we think about for a drug hype being highly protein-bound. Generally, it doesn't require renal dose adjustments. But there are some data that look at, that look at some of these uh, protein-bound drugs and you know, as you're removing the low amount in the serum, there is redistribution from the protein site into the serum. And so you can see somewhat of an additional removal through CRT. Um, but in general, drugs that are less than 90% protein bound will potentially be removed through CRT. And through modality um, such as convection or CVVH modalities, the removal is inversely related to the protein binding. And there are some equations uh, that we're not going to get into today because we just don't have time that you can actually calculate out um, what that looks like from a clearance standpoint. And then volume of distribution is the third physiochemical property that I really have people focus on when considering medications. You know, and that goes back to a little bit of our third point, which is the CRT itself, and that, or the molecular weight, I'm sorry, relates to the CRT settings because most CRT filters effectively remove molecules into the 20,000 Dalton range. Um, however, many of them, if you look in the package insert, say they go up to 45 to 50,000 Daltons. But if you ask most nephrologists, they'll say, mm, maybe into the low 20s, you'll actually get effective removal, well, somewhat effective removal at the beginning of your CRT session, and then that saturates over time. So, in general, you get better removal of solute when your CRT starts or if you have a new filter change, for example, um, which for many centers is probably around every one to three days. Um, and for drugs that have a large molecular weight, you'll see more removal at the beginning. Uh, but what we generally think of for drugs that are effectively removed through CRT are drugs with a medium to low molecular weight. So, a low molecular weight anywhere between zero and 250 to 500 Daltons, and within that range, um, almost all of our important antibiotics fit within that range. A lot of our anti-epileptic medications fit within that range as well. So these are very important drugs that we need to be uh, dosing appropriately. I wanted to ask a quick question that with, when, when you're talking about some of these drugs being cleared through continuous renal replacement therapy, does the amount of time somebody's on CRRT, does that ever play a role in the clearance of some of these drugs? Meaning, you know, two days versus two weeks for some, uh, like COVID-19 patients, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. It does matter. It matters how long your patient's been on the therapy, and that can mean a few things. So duration of therapy and then the effective dose delivered. So you have the initial um, solute removal is always going to be greatest at the beginning of therapy. So right when you start your patient on CRT um, and when you change your set. And like I said earlier, the set gets changed every one to three days. Um, many of the manufacturers will say change it at 72 hours no matter what. However, as we know, practicing in the ICU, these filters go down, they get clogged, they get clotted, things happen. A normal effective filter life is around 24 to 36 hours. So basically every day, your patient's getting a new filter, a new set. Right at the beginning of that, you're going to have the best removal. In general, you know, CRT is a slow therapy. It takes a few days for it to reach its what I'll call kind of loosely steady state removal. Um, and when you're watching these patients' labs, it's easy to watch labs as they go down through CRT, right? Like you can't watch cefepime levels because we don't have cefepime levels. 
but um, you're going to remove probably the maximum amount in the first couple of days. And then ideally, you're just keeping patients at a steady state removal. This also depends on the prescription. And this is very nephrologist dependent and center dependent, I would say. We do have national guidelines that um, suggest an effective dose of 20 to 25 mils per kilo per hour. However, I do know that in some centers, a higher dose is targeted because when you talk about duration, um, you also want to look at how much is your patient actually receiving because the dose prescribed does not always equal the dose delivered. And what that means is maybe you're prescribing for a daily dose of 30 mils per kilo per hour, but you know there are probably two to three hours where that patient is off therapy totally. And so you need to count that into a 22-hour period, not a 24-hour period. So most of the machines actually can give you that data if you're looking at the cards, um, but as for dosing purposes, that's the dose prescribed, and that's usually what we empirically will go off of. At this stage of it, at this time period, you're basically making a lot of decisions about dosing in, in multiple therapeutics going on in critically ill patients with not a lot of evidence. You had mentioned that at, at the beginning. And so you're taking your knowledge of, in, in this case, um, you know, renal physiology, renal replacement therapy, the pharmacokinetics of these drugs, clearance, all that kind of stuff. And you're making, you know, what what are good decisions, I'm sure, most of the time. So what are we missing then? What what would you like to see things to be studied here? Like what are there clinical trials in the works to help you make better decisions with this? Um, if not, what are what trials do we need to look into to make this a more evidence-based approach? So there are some studies that help us here, and I think the most useful studies, I'll say, are with drugs that we don't have the ability to measure. Most drugs, all antibiotics, have a pharmacodynamic target. Um, and as it relates to the patient. So we call this the pharmacokinetic dynamic target. And this is the concentration that you want um, in the patient's serum um, as it relates to the bacteria that you're treating. And this varies from drug to bug, um, but these are known targets in the literature and they're well established. And it's what we target in uh, normal antibiotic um, pharmacokinetic studies. So knowing that, you can go into a situation if you don't have a bunch of evidence to tell you what to do. If you have the ability to monitor this patient's antibiotic level, you can optimize that antibiotic to the patient's pharmacokinetic dynamic target. A good example of that, I don't want to get into too many details, but um, one class of drugs I'll keep harping on are the beta-lactam class of antibiotics um, and cephalosporins. So these are our backbone drugs for sepsis. Um, we have a lot of smaller pharmacokinetic studies that suggest standard dosing in CRT patients is inadequate. And when I say standard dosing, I mean high dose, normal dose, uh, something that you would give a patient with a GFR of over 60, for example. We know that those regimens are inadequate, but what we don't have right now is the ability to safely say, well, let's increase the dose, or by decreasing the dosing interval, de increase the total daily dose. Uh, we don't have that data. And I think um, as if there are more studies that used um, a personalized medication dosing approach for these patients and possibly compared it to a standard approach, which is what I think most centers do now, um, and provided some safety data and provided their pharmacokinetic data that um, su suggested, you know, these are the concentrations we achieved and this is what we were targeting, et cetera. Um, I think people would be more comfortable because, um, you know, once upon a time, 
everyone got a gram Q12 of vancomycin, right? Um, it was just through practice and experience and publication of those experiences that we were able to say, well, you know, that's not adequate for most of our patients. Let's optimize this and personalize this to the patient and measure their levels. And, you know, vancomycin has been around for 60 years or so. Um, we've increased its safety by doing that um, a lot, especially with AUC-based dosing, which is um, in the new guidelines. Um, so what's missing, I guess, to answer your question is the comfort and the safety data um, and the comfort from the physicians and pharmacists to go outside of the, the normal dosing um, with these drugs. I think it's coming. There are a lot of groups around the world working on this, but you know, the more data we have to help with this in CRT, and then this doesn't just apply to CRT, it applies to critically ill patients as well. Because again, like that patient we described in the beginning, that patient might not get CRT. And, and um, what do you do then still? I think the pharmacokinetic alterations still exist, even if they don't get put on therapy. Yeah. Well, Dr. Baston, I have to tell you, it is it is crystal clear to me that you are very passionate about what you do, and I think that's fantastic. And we need more Dr. Bastons on the front line to help figure this stuff out. Let's just end, you know, and, and again, I know this is complex. There's so many details. Uh, this is just a podcast. So, you know, in summary, what would you like the audience to know then about, you know, dosing considerations in, say, somebody on, you know, renal replacement therapy? Yeah, absolutely. That's a big loaded question, but I'll try to summarize quickly. So this is a um, an interprofessional, multidisciplinary issue, right? It's not just the ICU team. It's not just the nephrology team or the pharmacy team. I think all these groups, including nursing, and nursing is extraordinarily important here, need to work together to optimize therapy for these patients. So this includes communication for when pa- patients start therapy and stop therapy. There's a lot of times where there's a lag window there where, where doses need to be held, et cetera. Communicating that to pharmacy. We need, and institutions, I would encourage them to have dosing guidelines. So, you know, there are some things that we can do and some carte blanche things that we know uh, need to be done for these patients in CRT with regards to dosing. And there are some review articles that can help guide institutional um, guidelines as well. But that needs to be in place in your institution, um, as well as uh, taking into consideration the individual practice. So nephrology practice is heterogeneous at best, um, and sometimes you have multiple practice partners in the same hospital using different variations of CRT, using different doses. And so education of everybody to know what does this mean for my patient and what does that translate in, um, into the medication dose. Monitoring of these patients is important too. One thing we didn't talk about was residual renal function. And so some of these patients get put on therapy for non-acute kidney injury reasons. Um, and you know, there's a list of indications that we could go through, but effectively, if they still have good urine output and they're on therapy, that is like a double whammy GFR for that patient. So we need to be monitoring that. We need nursing to say, oh, this patient is, your urine output is picking up. Let me communicate that to the team. Let me make sure pharmacy knows about that, et cetera. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately um, use therapeutic drug monitoring if you have it. So almost all centers should have vancomycin and immunoglycoside therapeutic drug monitoring. And hopefully we can start advancing the practice to other antibiotics that we know have an, a therapeutic window to target. Um, and that can help us even improve the dosing strategies for CRT patients. Well, Dr. Baston, that was a pretty good summary, considering that was a loaded question I gave you at the end there. Excellent job. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care Podcast. For the iCritical Care Podcast, I'm Dr. Mike. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by Baxter Healthcare Corporation. 
When you choose Baxter for your CRRT program, you're not only choosing true, patient-focused treatment with industry-leading CRRT technology, you're also selecting a partner dedicated to optimizing your clinical success in treating patients with acute kidney injury. Our commitment to you starts with a program individualized to your facility's needs and provides complete support every step of the way. For more information, visit us at usrenalacute.baxter.com. Baxter Healthcare Corporation has provided funding for this podcast, but all content was developed independently by the presenter. Therefore, the views expressed on the podcast are those of the speaker and should not be attributed to Baxter Healthcare Corporation. For prescription use only, for the safe and proper use of this product, please refer to the operator's manual. Michael A. Smith, M.D., received his medical doctorate from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. He practiced internal medicine and radiology in Dallas, Texas in the early 2000s before transitioning to the pharmaceutical and nutraceutical industries as an educator and consultant. The iCritical Care podcast is the copyrighted material of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants, and do not imply an opinion or endorsement on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, its officers, volunteers, or members or that of the podcast commercial supporter.